Welcome to Season 6 of the Do More Good podcast, a selection of interviews with the movers and shakers from the third sector and beyond, telling the stories of people doing more good. I'm James, fundraiser at Blood Cancer UK, Marie Curie and now a Sue Rider. I'm also treasurer of the Events Fundraising Group of the CIOF and Bexley Cross Country Champion 1994. And I'm Kenneth, proud fundraiser from my time working for Alzheimer's Research UK, now the charities lead at London Marathon Events where I get to work with thousands of brilliant and amazing charities, father of three football-obsessed children and co-host of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do More Good Good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. listening to the Do More Good podcast. Here we are, James, back again for the Do More Good podcast. It's episode 91. How are you doing? Hey, Diz. I'm all right. It's spring. It's the first time I've used your full nickname on the show this year, I think. Very well, thank you. Very well. How about you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. It is spring. The sun's shining. Everything's feeling a little bit sprightlier. Sprightlier? Is that even a word? I don't know. It is now. It It is is now. now. It is now. Everything's feeling a bit brighter, should I say. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I've had a a few weeks off work and I'm just recovering, getting back into the swing of things. You've been away though. I have been away. Like, who does not love that invitation dropping on the, uh, the doorstep from a long, long lost cousin? This was a few months ago. It'd been rearranged two two times, I think, a wedding. And finally got up to Newcastle last weekend for my cousin's wedding. Yeah. See old family, catch up with old friends. And who does not love a Geordie wedding? <laughs> I mean, that is absolutely it was as it was as great as you can imagine. So fully yeah. embraced it. Yeah, fully embraced it. First one's on the dance floor, last one's to leave. My yes. wife and I. Brilliant time and yeah, just great to be back up in Newcastle. I always love spending time up there. Went down to the coast, didn't have any kids. Kids were at the the in-laws. So yeah, had a brilliant time. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah. What about you? What have you been up to? Uh this weekend, uh it, it was fully all about the kids, actually, this weekend. I was spent I spent pretty much all of the weekend at the Olympic Park. Did so you? Fr- Friday night went and saw some basketball at the Copper Box Arena. It's brilliant. My youngest loves it. Has neither of us have any idea what's going on at any moment. All right, but they, there's like klaxons go off, cheerleaders come on, bit of basketball gets played in the middle. They play music. They there's a, like a very partisan commentator who winds the crowd up and gets everything going. And my youngest just loves stamping her feet and and cheering along. And yeah, Amazing. really enjoyed it. So that was Amazing. good. And then spent pretty much all day Sunday with my eldest at the velodrome. So she was riding the velodrome for the first time, which is... Wow. When I was 10, I was lucky if I got to go to the park. These kids are spending their weekends at the, at the Olympic Park. So, yeah, really cool. Really cool. <laughs> it has changed, hasn't it? You're, you're right. I think my wife and I have had that conversation about the experiences that we have now compared to what... What, what we give to our children but um no they are very lucky to be able to do that and riding around the velodrome I mean that sound I, that looks scary uh, well be... she was just getting the hang of it and then we had the uh the inevitable crash uh, <laughs> did you so yeah there's a little corner that will forever have a little bit of her skin oh. her mark. yeah but she was she was super brave got back up and and, and uh after um a little bit of patching up yeah first aid oh. kit, she got back out there so well good done. Yeah. Good. Well, look, before we get on to, to this week's guest, we've got a bit of a theme, I guess, in terms of the guest we have today works for a reasonably small entrepreneurial business um, that's relatively new. 
And before we speak to our guest, have a, a really engaging conversation with them about what that's like, I wanted to ask you, James, if you've ever had an idea for a business that you've never explored, mm-hmm. and if so, what was that what was business? Um, well, we've talked before on the pod about my uh, journalistic career with the James's Jolly newspaper at primary school, which which took off and then was immediately shut down by the teachers for sharing too much gossip. We have. Uh, but the one that came to mind when you mentioned this, there's a there's a shop just around the corner from me, quite a large space. And when the pandemic hit, I thought that is perfect for a shared working space that we could take that on and do that. Uh, and I didn't move quick enough. And now it's going to be a trendy wine bar. So actually, <gasps> I still, you know, still good. I still oh. win. And then I've been watching a lot of Adam Newman or the Newmans on We Crashed. I don't know if you've seen that about WeWork. So it's probably best. I would have definitely gone down the tequila in the office, lots of chanting, kind of cultish side of things. So it's probably best for the local area that I, did, I didn't uh get my hands on that on that space but yeah there we haven't go. seen that you? yet actually I, I must I'm, I've seen it advertised but I haven't watched it yet is it is it worth is it worth well a watch? it's well worth a watch and if anyone from a bank wants to come and give us 4.4 billion pounds to uh to put into the do more good podcast then please feel free oh yeah. good it's amazing it's a good watch it's a good yeah watch. No, I think it, it just interested me because I think there's always a few ideas that kind of spark. I've always probably like you, you have an idea and you think, oh, this quite quickly, this could turn into something amazing. And then you never quite take that first step. Maybe you create a logo, you create a logo and, and yeah. register, register a domain. I can't think how many domains I must have registered. But no, I'll probably go back to one. My friend and I, after a few, uh, a few beers and a bottle of whiskey, came up with something called Implusential which oh. we got a logo. I mean, this sounds very glamorous, right? This is yeah. this was all about the very start of the influencer era. And we were going to try to kind of build a platform because my friend works in tech to connect brands with influencers. Of course, now this was probably while, while this was already going, but it was the relatively early days. I think it's probably mid 2000, early 2000s, 2009. Oh I mean, you know, who knows where it could have gone, but... Yeah. You'd have been a millionaire, Rodney. I know, exactly. I wouldn't be sitting yeah. here. Anyway, yeah. great you'd ideas. Been, Keep you'd exploring have been them. Buying Twitter with Elon Musk. <laughs> Forty billion dollars later. I know. Crazy. Anyway, look, let's get back, get into our guest because she's probably sat there thinking, what have I let myself in for with these two absolute idiots? Our guest this week has worked in the charity sector for over 10 years, holding roles with Save the Children, University Development Office, and then running the small military charity Ticket for the Troops. And then in August 2018, she joined the Tech for Good business, Work for Good. Founded four years ago, they are on a mission to help businesses raise more funds for charities. And the idea from the platform was inspired by the founder, Rupert Pick's experience of giving back to the hospital staff who looked after his young daughter. The platform really helps charities to work with businesses and helps those charities to formalise the agreement between the charity and the business. And when she's not working, she loves to travel, exercise, hanging out with friends, coming up with new business ideas and enjoying a new a glass or two of bubbles. So we'd like to welcome Veronica Bamford-Dean to the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing, Veronica? Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm good, thank you. And thanks for having me. What a nice introduction. No worries. We've got to ask you, what's that one business idea that you've had that you you maybe mm-hmm. discussed with a friend and never, ever took anywhere? <laughs> well, I'd say I'm, I'm less the entrepreneur. I'm more the doer. I'm more the implementer, getting stuff done and getting stuff changed and growing it. But 
I did have an idea about it's not too dissimilar to James, but a co-working space. And then obviously they all blew up, uh, which was excellent. So a bit too late. No, but yeah, as I say, I'm I'm more the kind of the implementer. An entrepreneur is a very specific type of person, I think, and requires specific skills. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the entrepreneur isn't the one that actually enables you know the business to to grow or to develop so I Mm. think I think you need a little bit of a combo of both if only Influential had had you around at that (laughs) that that genesis in the year 2000 (laughs) if Kenneth had known you then well precisely I I feel like I I feel like there's a business brewing here between us wow it could be in the co-working space influential yeah you know I'll buy the tequila oh that's a great (laughs) idea I'll bring the uh, limes it is right though, Veronica, because I think I recall back to a podcast. Can you remember, James, when we sat down with with Roberta uh, Luca, who was, she's kind of was a serial entrepreneur. She'd started about four or five businesses in all different types of realms. But she always talked about the co-founder as being mm-hmm. like the really key person. And like you say, you need one ideas person almost, and then one person who can actually take those ideas and make them into a reality, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I suppose in, in, in our... Uh, in our state with work for good I'm not even either of those technically so my, my the founder's Rupert Pick the co-founder's Danny Witter and then I came along a little bit later and kind of you know shook it up a little bit as well so uh, yeah <laughs> effectively maybe a tri-co-founder uh, or the bossy one perhaps I think if, if they, they're listening to that they will be nodding <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> that fits nicely on a business card doesn't it the bossy one. Um, I saw um, a lovely I can't think where it was I was reading about this yesterday and it was yeah. around that kind of entrepreneurial spirit yeah. and what you need now is not necessarily a technical knowledge or loads of money behind you but you need to be a good storyteller they're saying that is the key for at the moment is somebody who can go out and kind of garner support from other people so therefore you need the do you, you know you've got your storyteller out front and then you've also got your kind of editor behind the scenes who is who is correcting the spelling mistakes and um and actually putting the papers together so yeah exactly I, I totally agree with that you know it is about a story but it's about implementing that story so you can have a lovely vision of a business or an organization or a charity or whatever you're working towards but you've got to be able to have you know, not just the plan in place, but the flexibility to be able to execute it, but also tell the story to different audiences. And I think, you know, not one size fits all as well. That's mm. that's exciting. part, And I suppose that's the also the challenging part of business as well, because, you know, it's a process of evolution. Yeah. yeah. So, Veronica, just rewinding a little bit, taking us back, we, as we said about in, in your intro, you've, you've been around the charity sector for, for 10 years. Just want to go back to kind of your early days your education what led what led you to getting into the charity sector and how was that initial experience yeah uh I, do you know what I was talking to my husband about this the other day, day because we were listening to um I shouldn't really admit this but we were listening to McFly song just you know happened to come on Spotify <laughs> definitely wasn't on a playlist that kind of thing but uh then we were discussing whether or not we like McFly as kids uh, and we both kind of sheeped around that subject. But I think the answer is yes, they're, they're not too bad. Uh, but anyway, it took me back to a comic relief day back at school, uh, which, you know, I looked after the I created a little charity team at school and did some fundraising there. And it kind of 
I suppose sparked my my love of wanting to give back and work for charities and fundraise for charities right back when I was at um, secondary school and then it kind of progressed on university where I spent kind of a third of my time doing studying third of my time playing the cross and then a third of my time working at the raising and giving society which uh, just you know took my heart not only is it really good fun to be at university and very lucky to be at university and uh, being able to fundraise but also make the most amazing friends as well and do good whilst making friends and having fun and raising money and creating events for the rest of the university so yeah all good and then yes kind of from that I think it I was always going to go into the the charity sector and it was just trying to work out how to how to get into it it's not always that easy is Mm. it you know you do in some cases you need a little foot in the door you need a good experience you mentioned earlier so I spent some time working university development offices you know very much temp jobs but I suppose that kind of learnt me the crux of how you speak to major donors and how you speak to high value givers and sending off you know thank you letters and doing data entry and you know starting right at the really crux of what is needed for the administration of fundraising when I went on to work for Save the Children uh, which was a fabulous experience uh, popped in doing a data entry for six weeks which was again uh, a a joy but actually it was a really good experience and it was a really good experience again to learn the different cogs of such a major charity and to have that experience with such uh, smart and skilled professionals Um, and then I stayed there for another another few years in the program funding team Um, so ingrained in in Save the Children then kind of going on to work at Tickets for Troops did a little internship there hang on that was before Save the Children in fact uh, and then went on to run the charity um, after my experience at Save the Children. So kind of that's a whistle-stop tour of my credit so far. Quite a few people talk about university as being that period where either they discover the third sector or that they really get involved in that side of things. You obviously did it a little bit earlier. You were a little bit of a pioneer at, um, with the comic relief stuff. But what did you want to do before you went to university? What did you dream of doing growing up? <laughs> uh, I didn't. I didn't have a dream of what I wanted to be when I was older. Uh, And if I'm going to be really, really honest, I thought I was going to have maybe a few jobs. I'd get married quite young. I'd have some kids and then I'd be a lady of leisure. I genuinely mean this. And however many years later without revealing, actually, not not that old, but, you know, into my 30s now. But definitely not what I was expecting at all. But I think... I don't know, I think there's some real elements of purpose as well. It's, life has thrown me quite a few challenges, personally, sort of losing relatives as well. And I think when you're dealt a relatively large number of crises at a young age as well, or throughout your life, it kind of sends you on a different path and it really makes you think about what you want to do or how you want to give back or what your purpose is. And I think although I have been relative well very unfortunate in the situation I have been in I think I've been fortunate to be able to grow up relatively quickly and also learn what my purpose is perhaps a bit earlier than I would have expected to had those things not happened mm. yeah I can really connect with that actually I think those big milestones in in, in your life whether it be death of a family member or or some other kind of event 
certainly at the times when you kind of start reflecting and looking at your purpose it really does really ring true I'm just interested Veronica from your time working at the RAG and obviously student times which I know speaking I I didn't do that at university myself but I know friends and colleagues who did and all of them absolutely say they had an amazing time doing it I don't know how I missed out on that university but um yeah, what are some of the things that kind of you you've you've learned from your your early career? Maybe it was at the RAG, maybe it was at Save the Children or the other or the other charity that you mentioned. What are some of them early lessons that you learned quite quickly that you think kind of continue with you today, particularly within reference to the kind of third sector? I suppose keeping a very open mind to work and approach and people. Everyone's different, every organization's different. There's a, there isn't a one size fits all model. But I think, and I think as I have, I suppose, grown in my career and evolved through particularly kind of the latest, later stages, the middle stages, let's say, early to mid stages, hopefully there'll be a lot longer to go. I think there's the need for kind of like the evolution and progression and having a really open mind to working and to learning and listening to other people, learning from and listening to other people. And I think that's where I've got to from doing that I've never had any formal training literally you know gone from one job to another haven't really had any management structure at one of my jobs I had seven managers in two years so you know it's sort of you get thrown in at the deep end and you work it out yeah I think I suppose they're kind of my my key key things I think that drive I think the drive and determination Mm -hmm. I think is really effective I think it can also be slightly uh, dangerous as well uh, I've been known to be a bit of a workaholic considering I wanted to be a lady of leisure and we can come on to holidays later. I love a holiday, you know, I'll turn off for, in a second for a holiday. But when you're working for the same purpose and the same reason and you've got a, a mission to achieve, it's almost like there's never enough work being done, which can be kind of counterproductive as well. So I think it's just being careful about both sides of that. Mm. Yeah. And how did that, that purpose and that drive lead you to, to work for good? Uh, well, after after I'd uh, been working at um, Tickets for Troops, I actually took some time out. Um, and sadly, I lost my second parent. Uh, so within 28 years of my life, I'd lost both my parents. And I just decided at that point, I needed a bit of a break. I'd already run a charity for three and a half years, done various other things. And so my, my husband and I, or fiance at that point, but we took nine months out went traveling which we were we were lucky to do but had saved very hard to be able to do so and then I came back and was looking at something I thought within the charity sector you know there was a question marks like oh do I just go to the dark side do I go into sales or partnerships or go and earn some real good money then I happened across an advertisement for work for good and it was kind of combining two of the things I loved the most it was working with charities and it was creating something new and different what we don't work for good is we've created a a digital solution to the commercial participation agreement so to really help make sales fundraising easy for both charities and for businesses and they were very much at the beginning of their journey so only launched the public in 2018 we only got back from our traveling in June 2018 I joined by August I think it was um, you know, it was a bit of, they took a punt on me, I took a punt on them. It just worked from kind of day dot. Uh, I really liked their mission focus. I liked the values of both co-founders, both Rupert and Danny. And that was really important to me because, as you said before, Work for Good, is it, it is a business. It's a tech for good organisation. It isn't charities. 
but we currently work with 1200 charities we work for fundraisers every day we speak to fundraisers every day so one of my jobs as MD is also speaking to charities and talking about sales fundraising as an opportunity it's not and I should never say this but I'm, I'm not really ever selling work for good I'm just trying to say look there's a huge opportunity here mm. to create a new income stream and that's what got me excited right at the beginning and there is just so much potential and it's almost that education piece it's like we are lucky enough to have a platform and a voice to be able to share it and the experience and the evidence is like how can we make sure enough people know about it to make their own decisions it doesn't mm. have to be used but um mm. yeah very very driven by the the values of uh how work for good was founded yeah does that feed into that that kind of workaholic element that you talk about there that maybe felt kind of startup like but yet it's a brilliant idea and you just want to see the results from that it's difficult to switch off when when you can see that potential yeah I think so and again like you know there, there are the bonuses to that and some of it can be detrimental because there's always more to be done but I definitely saw it as a challenge right at the beginning uh it was something I'd done at, at the previous role sort of turned the charity around in two years and took it out of historical deficit so I was kind of ready to do that again don't think I quite realized just how different what we were doing is and also as a non-charitable organization it's a different way of fundraising as well and then all the nuances as well of what uh, I suppose a fundraising platform brings but yeah there's definitely a workaholic continuum with me but I'm also lucky to have a very supportive team and that is something that I would never undervalue or underappreciate. And I can't uh, kind of emphasize enough when anyone is working. If you're not happy in your team, there's literally no point in continuing to do what you're doing. Um, and the reason we have been able to continue as our organization and grow, I think, is fundamentally down to the people who work for us, their employees, but colleagues friends as well not just smart but really skilled too uh, and I think yeah I think that just plays a huge part in kind of why I get up every morning and that really hard and back for more hours than I should do during the week but I also want to make it a success for them we can work hard now for a period of five years really like blood sweat and tears many tears and be able to create something that has an impact for the future of income generation and for businesses involvement in making the world a better place and in an ideal world we wouldn't have any charities would we but that to me I think that potentials that's the exciting part and I don't think it's unrealistic either that's amazing I mean you can you can see just coming through the screen and obviously we're doing this on zoom your your passion for it comes through which has obviously been crafted over the last four years I'm interested Veronica just what that experience has been like for you joining an organization that was a startup that was tech focused mm-hmm. you'd been away traveling for nine months you had to come back and probably learn a bit of a new area I'm sure the tech you know perhaps didn't appear in your uh, career prior to that what's it been like the last four years kind of going on that journey I mean you, you've said blood sweat and tears I'm sure there's been ups and downs but can you give us any more as to, to what that experience has been like for you personally yeah, sure. And and I suppose we should probably mention the P word in there as well. That was kind of thrown in a couple of years ago at the height. 
I'd say it's been a roller coaster. It has definitely been a roller coaster. And I think, you know, I could be very, very closed about this and say, oh, it's really easy and we're doing really well. And, uh, you know, you get up every day and, you know, everything rolls together in one. But it's tough. It is tough. And we've got a, you know, we've got a small team. I've got a small team, but we have very high ambition. And I think as, and as I mentioned, I am lucky with the group of people I have around me and the type of people we work with as well. We have, we started with a very small community back in 20, I think when I joined, I think we had 200 and 240 charities using the site and maybe six, 700 businesses. Now we've now got a community of over 4,000, you know, 4,000 organizations wanting to make a difference through the same mechanic, which is what it is. And that's really inspiring. Mm. And I think, I think that's the importance of surrounding oneself by the right and similar like-minded types of people and organizations that there's a benefit, but it, it has come with its challenges. The pandemic obviously wasn't um, ideal for anybody but one of the things we took at the very beginning was you know as a fundraising platform it's our responsibility to support fundraisers and charities to do their jobs better and be more efficient and to be able to help businesses who want to support charity and they want to do their little bit and so we very much kind of took that on the head right at the beginning and just thought you know let's let's try as hard as we could to make a difference and continue to make that impact as well as evolving as a business because we're still relatively new so yeah it's been a little bit of up and down but has it been fun yeah it has yeah. been fun <clears throat> it has been fun like and the reason I asked that is because I think I think there's probably people listening to this that think you know after going away traveling nine months away coming back quite daunted by having an experience in the charity sector and then looking at the tech for good space which we know and I think we mentioned at the start is is obviously seeing some growth. It's, it's, it's ultimately the future, I guess. But kind of jumping into an opportunity that was probably undefined, I'm sure the job description was very broad. I'm sure the impact message was front and centre because tech for good businesses are generally built with that in its centre at its core. Mm. But then going on the roller coaster of, of, of riding that for four years, you're still sitting there and you're looking like you're happy and you're fulfilled <laughs> and you're still as passionate. So, you know... It, I guess that's what I'm trying to kind of express from from that experience. Yeah, and and I I do you know I'm not just smiling because I'm on a podcast because no one can see my face. You guys can, but no one else can. Like I do, <laughs> and I think that's you know sometimes sometimes the light goes off, and that's for various reasons. You know, like mental health is a big problem and it's a big issue, and it's something that we all have, and it's something that we all go through our dips and troughs with. So I'm not always smiling. But equally, you know, unless it's really bad, why not smile and why not try and look for a solution? And I think through everything you asked back, like, you know, what kind of has taken me through my career? And in fact, I didn't answer it correctly at all mm-hmm. <laughs> on reflection, but it's being, being solution focused. And I think that is actually what has got me from A to B and being able to ride the storms, the waves, the ups, the downs, the pandemics, the personal, you know, downfalls, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, there's always a solution to something. And if there really isn't, then do something different and change direction. And I think one of the things we have at Work for Good and one of 
the ways I like to encourage the team is a very trial and error approach. If something is tried and it doesn't work, then stop doing it and move on, do something else. Equally allowing the team to kind of get on and try things themselves. I've had that attitude probably through particularly the last two roles I've had work for good and tickets for troops. You know, mistakes happen as well, but just learn from them yeah. and try not to do them again. And if you do, well, then, you know, let's have a conversation about it. But, you know, bad things happen, mistakes happen. Everyone does it, but you don't want to feel awful about it. Um, my father had a, a really wonderful expression, which I do try and kind of take through what I do at work and personally. But he used to say care, but don't worry. And it's sometimes very difficult not to worry. And I certainly do it, uh, but I try not to, obviously. But caring is so important. And actually, I think if everyone cared a little bit more about what they do and themselves as well and had that nice balance, rather than worrying, we might be in a bit of a better place, probably both personally and professionally. Uh, and also just being very kind of open and transparent. If there is a problem, if you are worrying, sharing it. Mm. Um, so, yeah. There yeah. Well, that's, that's tangent. Apologies. No, that's great. It's great. It's a lovely phrase. I like that. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. I think both James and I were writing it down then, were we? You can see that, right? <laughs> Pass that one um, on to my children. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I just think it's so, it just reminds me of him, but I just think it's so beautiful and it's so true as well. And it's yeah. so simple. Yeah. Jimbo is off at the bar, which makes a change, and means I can tell you about the website, domoregood.uk. There you'll find profiles, blog posts, previous episodes, and a link to the newsletter if you fancy some VIP content in your inbox. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at domoregoodpod, plus you can find us on LinkedIn. We've even started a TikTok. Anyway, he's on his way back. Hang on a minute, are they shandies? Pass it on to the children, but also pass it on through the culture of the team that you're creating. And you talk there about being solution focused and a, and a trial and error approach, which comes with, you know, trust. And people need to believe that 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 they can make mistakes and that they won't be hit with sticks if 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 they do. And you talk about fun as well as being, you know, how do you craft a culture like that and deal with the, the pressure of being uh, a new company and, and trying to develop? And then maybe just touch on, I think we all know the answer to this, but the importance of recruitment into a small team as well sure uh so elements of fun well again like without <coughs> worrying and caring about it I feel like because now we're all behind screens these days beforehand before the pandemic we were working two days in an office three days at home so we were very well set up for hybrid working from home but there is a difference from being at home now pretty much full time so it's about you know we we did the zoom calls and the happy hours and then because we work very hard we realized we we're missing the happy hours which is terrible but we we do now get together we get together once a month and we do have fun we've got a good team and I think it's about adding elements of you know actually making that time at the beginning of a conversation not to launch straight into work even though you're behind a screen and you've got an agenda but if you're having a chat on a Monday morning talk about what you've been doing at the weekend it doesn't have to go straight into your you know what's going on this week and like we have a, we have two team meetings a week and I suppose that's where the, the the warmth and the fun comes through from my lovely team as well. And the importance of bringing people into that team as well that you that you say you're looking for people with the right fit for that team so that they fit into that culture and yeah uh, work alongside you. Yeah I um. I'd say I have quite a 
I don't know if it's traditional recruitment methods, definitely probably not a traditional recruitment method. I'm very honest in recruitment. So we have quite a similar kind of setup for anyone who comes for an interview with us. But it's very important for me to make sure the people who are applying for roles with us know what they're getting themselves into as well. Working for a startup, you have dips and troughs. I've already kind of touched on those, but there is up and down. It is very hard, fast and high paced activity. There's a lot of reactive work, but there's also a lot of place for autonomy and independent thinking and being trusted. You know, you mentioned like you do have to trust your team. You, you do have to trust your team because you can't do everything yourself, regardless if you're in a startup or a small business or you're uh, a manager within a, in, within a charity or you have, you know, you're managing anybody within a team. You've got to be entrusted to do your job properly. But yeah, I do. I do spend about three minutes every uh, interview just saying, look, this is actually what happens at Work for Good. I understand if you don't want to join that environment, you need to know that information. Please go away and think about it. And always at the end of the interview, it's like, do think about those elements because it's not for everybody. And some people are like, you know, really good structure and uh, everything going smoothly or not hearing about whatever's going on. Probably everyone's going to put work for God on there. Do not go to list now <laughs> no. looking for a new job. Absolutely not. I'm sure we will be recruiting later this year as well. But please, I promise you, it's a lovely place to work. Come and work for us. No, I think, I, I, Veronica, I think that's really refreshing to hear, to be honest. Like we, there's been a lot of talk of recruitment, hasn't there, over the last couple of years about different recruiting practices. And I think openness and honesty about recruitment is probably kind of at the center of everything that we've heard about it's like you know sending people questions in advance being more open and transparent actually letting people know what it's like I think that's that's all good stuff and and ultimately I guess in a startup environment you haven't got the time or the luxury of going through a very drawn out recruitment process you probably make a decision that we need someone and then you need to recruit them now because you how big are you now in terms of headcount uh, I say we're up to 10. We've got four full-time members of staff. So, yeah. So, I mean, are. one additional person into that is going to make a huge difference, but exactly. also the, 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 the train rolls on, right? Yeah, exactly. And mm. I think, you know, recruitment is, is two-way. You, you're going for a job because you want them to probably hire you, ideally, mm. but equally you've got to interview <clears throat> them. And I think there's, there's a balance with that. There's an there's a importance of not a kind of an arrogance of, well, I can be employed and you should employ me because of X, Y, and Z. But there is a there's a, a balance of, of need and yes, personality and skill requirement. Mm. But also if that candidate sits in an interview and doesn't like the person there who's interviewing them, then why on earth, regardless of the money, the role, the progress you're going to get offered, why on earth would you go and work for them? Uh, yeah. I remember when I was talking about roles back at the beginning, I had interviewed I don't know if I should say this I was going to <laughs> you should name names. Names. don't you name any names this. yeah okay I interviewed for a very cool I'd, I'd, I'd done I'd done some events work and I, was, I thought at one point I wanted to go into events uh and I interviewed for a relatively short job with a um quite a cool events company and I sat there with the CEO and I was going to be her PA, but there'd be lots of event stuff with that. And she basically sat there and told me that a lot of the job would have to be like, you know, maybe just popping to her house and feeding the dog and, and do it, you know. And yes, maybe I didn't know I was 
you know, didn't did, couldn't quite decide what I wanted to do in my career, but I certainly knew I didn't want to go and feed her dog. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the interview, she, um, and it was, you know, it was a really cool company, worked in really cool events, lots of celebrities. It was very snazzy. You got lots of like freebies, you got flown places. And at the end, she was like, you know, you you let me know if you'd like this. And I think this is, you know, something I've taken. But you let me know if you'd like this job at the end. But she said it a little bit arrogantly. And I was like, OK. And uh, I walked out and I was like, I don't want the job. I don't want it. I really want to work for the company, but I don't want to work for you. Mm. And there's a, there was an issue there. So I mm. didn't quite reply that. But I did write to her very kindly afterwards and said, thank you very much back to me. Looking for something. I had a horrendous, horrendous interview. I might have talked about this one before with a guy so I, I I got to the interview there was two guys in the interview room and they were lovely like really welcoming welcome here yeah. you know hope you do well having a bit of small talk whatever yeah. and then the boss came in and then he just he just went at me for like 30 40 minutes of just like questions and every answer had a question fired at straight fire question yeah. and then after about 30 40 minutes you go okay the test is over now I can ask you some proper questions that was just a test to see how you dealt with that type of situation and anyway so then we had the rest of the interview and then he he left and the two guys who were there like ended up apo- apologizing for what I what this guy had just put me through and it was just I mean this was going back probably 10 12 years now I mean it was just horrendous but you just mm. think how can those, mm. you know, that just doesn't work, does it? Just doesn't no. work. Just doesn't no. work. But anyway, we haven't, Veronica, we haven't come on to really work for good and, and what you do. And I know we've had some great chat and it, it, really interesting, but I do want to give you the opportunity because I think, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to invite you on is because we, we, we'd seen what you were doing as an organisation. Obviously, some of your PR or your personal social media is working in some way. We connected and then, you know, so, saw you in a few places. And, and I think what really resonated with me was the fact that there's so many businesses that want to do something good for charities, that they want to have a positive impact with their profit, either by giving to charities or whatever, Historically, that was probably the occasional check irregularly given to a community fundraiser or just sent into a charity and that you guys are trying to, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, trying to kind of formalize those type of relationships with between charities and between small, medium, large businesses. Can just tell us what Work for Good does? Yeah, of course. You've you've pretty much got it in a a nutshell there, Kenneth, but we're very much focused on what we what we call sales fundraising but it's exactly that you know when businesses want to give to charities through the sales of their products and services so in a traditional um marketing terms it's cause related marketing uh in charity terms it can be that as well as sales fundraising it's kind of a little uh expression we've coined because it sounds nicer and that's exactly what it is Mm. businesses are fundraising through their sales but the problem that it produces is that you have to have a legal agreement in place to the Charities Act if a business wants to donate to a charity through their sales. And so that's what we have taken. We've taken that legal agreement that costs quite a lot to put together as fundraising teams and, and wider charity teams, legal and, and um, ethical processes and due diligence, et cetera, et cetera. And we've put it into a digital format. So that's, I suppose, the tech part of Work for Good. But that is, and I think it's funny that we also haven't come on to talk about work for good because that's not necessarily, I don't ever really want to talk about work for good. Literally one of my team is going to kill me for saying this right now. But what I want to talk about is, is the 
opportunity that sales fundraising as a mechanic offers to the sector and small businesses as a audience offer. And we are very good as uh, charities and fundraisers looking at the big corporates and going after them. And I've had multiple conversations with people about, yeah, yeah, yeah we focus on the top kind of hundred businesses and we all go after them for charity of the year and corporate partnerships. And, and then we lose them and we're really disappointed and we've lost a lot of money and time, et cetera, et cetera. And then the potential and the opportunity that small businesses bring is there are 5.6 million small businesses in the UK. So many of them are driven by their purpose because three and a half million of them are just individuals running a business. So they're sole traders. A lot of them just want to do something to give back. Not all the time because they can't afford to do it all the time because at the end of the day, they're running a business and they've got to afford to do so. One way for a business to give back very sustainably is through their sales because if you sell a product or a service which is what business does at the end of the day you are able to make a donation on that sale however if you put it on say profits at the end of the year but you don't make any profits and you've made that commitment to the charity which I know many charities and fundraisers have problems with then you're not going to be giving a donation because you haven't raised a profit so it's making a very tangible way for businesses to be able to support charities. But the issue we have as a sector is because uh, they're categorized, which they are as small, we think that they provide a small income, but that's not actually true. So businesses are measured on the size of uh, the business, so the number of employees compared to charities, which is measured on the size of income. So, you know, a small business could be a uh, a law firm it could be wealth management it could be an estate agent it could be an artist they could actually be making an awful lot of money just because they're small it doesn't mean their income is and so it's provided I suppose it's just realizing that opportunity that we have to kind of tap into the good that businesses want to do and the quantity of it because there yeah. are only seven and a half just over seven and a half thousand big businesses in the UK yeah, there are 163,000 charities. So, you know, let's do the maths there. So what we're seeing as an organisation, this is what's really interesting, is the charities who are very much opening up their doors to kind of community fundraising businesses and the businesses in their local regions or communities who want to donate through their sales, instead of them saying, oh, well, we're just going to have three corporate partners this year, they're having those, but they're also saying, oh, well, actually, you know, there's 60 other businesses that want to support us through their sales. You can do that, too. Please, that you know, our doors are open. Come and support mm. us through your sales. Oh, and what a good idea, because how do businesses promote themselves? The fact you said, hilariously, kind of like, oh, I've seen your PR and everything. We, we don't spend any money on that. That's literally just us talking about our business, saying this is what we have to provide. That's what other businesses do. So they use their marketing channels to be able to promote what they're doing. So if they're able to say we are donating to you know, WWF from the sales of our T-shirts and they happen to have an audience of 20,000 on Instagram and another 100,000 on Facebook, and perhaps they might be raising a thousand pounds and that is all. But the brand awareness piece that they've been able to get out to those hundred thousands of people the value of that is something that actually WWF, they might be able to reach, but maybe I should take in a slightly smaller charity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't have otherwise been able to do that. Mm. 
I think it's yeah. un- untapped, isn't it? I think that's what yeah. I'm getting from you, Veronica, is it's, it's, it's an untapped pool when charities are struggling with traditional fundraising methods. Yeah. And we all know we, you know, we don't need to beat around the bush. We're, we're probably heading for a recession here where things are going to get more difficult. And, and therefore, charities are going to have to look at, well, OK, if uh, if our regular giving or our corporate partnerships isn't isn't working as it so where else can we get funds from? And this sounds like it's an area that maybe is untapped. Is that typically, I mean, what does a typical charity that you work with, Veronica, is it from that small to medium size or are you also exploring the bigger organisations? All charities, actually. So, yeah, we work with, so from the just over 1,200 that we work with now, we have those who have an income of under 10K, but we have those who, you know, 600 million plus. Um, mm. 60 of the top 100 UK charity brands are on Work for Goods which I think to me demonstrates, and I, I, I suppose charities of different sizes use the platform slightly differently and uh, engage with sales fundraising in a different way. So the larger charities, they're receiving a lot of supporters who want to support them through their sales because they have understandably uh, minimum thresholds to start partnership agreements with them, or they have larger corporate partners that wouldn't, allow that sort of crossover or conflict of interest perhaps they have to say no to these um, supporters who want to support through their sales to set up separate partnership agreements but they are keeping an open mind and this is nice going back to what we were talking about earlier about keeping an open mind these businesses do want to support them and how can they enable that so Mm. particularly the larger ones they've got lots of incoming supporters and instead of saying no you can't raise £25,000 for us Obviously, a small business can't raise £25,000 for them. But they're saying, no, you can't support us in this way through a partnership. We're not going to allow you to use our logo. But do continue to support us through your sales, as we would do to an individual. When would we ever turn away an individual donor giving £5 a month? Never. Mm. So um, it kind of works both ways. And then the smaller business, uh, sorry, the smaller charities are able to go out to this new cohort of supporters and potent prospects, uh, potential businesses and say, look, if you don't want to be a charity of the year or you can't be one of our corporate partners, perhaps you could just give a small amount through your sales. Or perhaps it's, a, I don't know, a hospital or a hospice who get a lot of gifts in kind. Gifts in kind are great, but actually the cash value is usually greater. And so it's flipping that and say, OK, well, these, this is great that you've given us gift in kind for X period of time. Could you maybe flip that? and give a little small percentage of each sale that you have with other stockists to mm. us instead. So it's just opening up kind of, I kind of see it as a bit of a tool to the toolbox. Sales fundraising is a tool to corporate fundraising and community fundraising. I think I heard you talk on another podcast, which I thought framed it quite well about supporterships, not partnerships. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I thought that kind of, that phrase... <laughs> <laughs> raising your eyebrows now like I, I did listen did we did do our research <laughs> you and did, I, you I did. thought that I thought that was quite a nice way of, of, of putting it because it kind of made it a little bit more clear in my mind because you are as you said corporate partnerships are still going to be high value yeah. significant cost for the charity significant cost for the the organization because they're raising big amounts of money but what we're talking mm. about here is lots of more micro transactions that actually cumulatively will lead to significant gifts which I think is is really interesting yeah yeah absolutely you've 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 got another one of my phrases that I've coined supporterships but I think it's so I think it's so important and so valuable as well and the fact that they can align with partnerships but it 
it doesn't have the same I suppose responsibility as a charity to support them in such a kind of granular way Mm. Uh, but I think you know I think I think that's the exciting bit and this is probably why I get on my kind of soapbox about why there's such a huge opportunity here but last year I can't even I don't even know what the the current status but over 400,000 new businesses were created in the first six months of last year like there are always going to be new businesses created there are always going to be businesses that fail absolutely that is something as a sector we just need to remember so rather than saying no you can't support us until you've been trading for two years it's like hang on a minute why don't you start when you're small see how you get on if your business works excellent if it doesn't well you've given us a little bit of income and equally maybe they'll go on to do another business <laughs> because you have serial entrepreneurs if one business fails they will start another one but it just provides that opportunity and and keeps those doors open to kind of future conversations and equally as a business grows so do their donations that's what we see particularly with some of the work for good community who have been on the platform for so many years with um, different charities and and you know going back to that brand awareness piece it's not always about the value it's sometimes about also the number of businesses supporting so you know perhaps 60 businesses ending up during a year may raise I don't know 30 to 40 thousand pounds but that's 60 businesses who have customers who have employees who if any of them fail might go on to a new business or within that um, just providing kind of opening different doors. Like you say, you would never turn down a five pounds a month regular gift. You would, uh, people are just going after the major gifts rather than looking at the mass underneath and, and growing that and turning the mid value a major. Yeah, it makes perfect yeah. sense. The parallels there are obvious. Sales fundraising, yeah. I'm sold. I think the other thing that comes out of it, as you say in there, Veronica, is access to these audiences, right, as well. Mm. And, and we know that the acquisition costs for charities are spiralling when it comes to new, new supporters onboarding, yeah. where and actually if you can go down this route and steward correctly a small business that has maybe an audience yeah. in a – I'm kind of feeling influential could kind of come back here <laughs> in some kind of – charity donate but it's an it's an untapped audience that hasn't heard that charity message then maybe an organization is saying okay we've got i don't know in 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 my world 10 london marathon places that we're struggling to fill actually let's use the small businesses that we work with to see if their audiences would be interested yeah it's um yeah a lot of opportunity and and particularly with you know awareness days as well someone posted on on one of my linkedin about you know should it be movements instead of charities I was like, well, I don't think it's neither or. I don't think it's neither or at all, full stop. Equally, I've heard expressions of purposeful companies, are they competing with charities? And should we actually close the door on them? And I, again, I don't agree with that because <laughs> one of the key things, and maybe this is my solution focus attitude, but is collaboration. And with collaboration, we're going to get further. And with collective action, which is what we're seeing with multiple hundreds of thousands of small businesses, we are seeing a collective action that is making a significant impact and that will only but grow so and I think that's quite exciting so look Veronica we've, we've kept it sounds like I think we could be here all night talking about this one but we don't we know you've probably got a, a life to lead and probably some work to get on with or or, or something to do this <laughs> evening just final kind of question before we come on to our quick fire ones which drop in the end what's the hope for the future what's what's the vision and and, and where do you see work for good and what is that mission that the, the team is following for the next few years? 
Yeah, so so the the end goal for us, well, there isn't an end goal because I don't think there will ever be an end, but is to create as much impact for charities that we can and enabling businesses to be able to fundraise in this, this very specific way. I think kind of looking at it from a very charity-centric perspective, I would like to see sales fundraising as a recognised income stream. It kind of is there as cause-related marketing, but because mm. of the requirements of the legal requirements of the commercial participation agreement, it's easier to turn a blind eye to it than to bring it on board. But actually, just because something's complex, it doesn't mean it's difficult. And I think with hopefully our help and other charities who are benefiting from the value of sales fundraising and the collective of small businesses, we can actually change the way they're viewed. So yeah, I suppose they're my two things. Sales fundraising is a significant income stream for charities and a sustainable one as well. And for Work For Goods to, to be able to help with that impact. What about you personally? Oh, well, uh, I'm going to be a lady of leisure, right? (laughs) (laughs) Go on holiday, travel for life. No, uh, genuinely, that's not a a joke. I would love to travel for life because I I don't know if you've been to Newcastle at this time of year. There's some lovely beaches in in, in Newcastle at this time of year. I can imagine. I will go anywhere, although anyone listening to me will be like, no, only if it's their son, which is also kind of true. I think for me, I'd I'd really like to make this work. I really Mm. would. I believe it can. And because I think, you know, I say this to the team, I didn't, I didn't set up work for good. Uh, I don't need this to work. It's not my baby. Kind of is a bit now. It's part of, part of me and part of the teams. Mm. But I don't need it to work, but I want it to. And I think it can. And I hope I can make enough impact and lead us in the right way to make it work. And if I can't, well, hopefully someone better will be able to do so. But that is that is my hope and I am until I get a real pushback I'm going to keep going so great nice. yeah nice nice cool well look Veronica thank you so much for sharing that I think a really insightful conversation just not only about kind of your experience but also as we touched on that kind of untapped opportunity so we wish you lots of luck in the future but as I mentioned we're not going to let you go we have three questions that we drop into all of our podcasts at the end so obviously you've listened to several episodes so you probably know what these are has she listened to any episodes james i don't know she's nodding no i have you're like has she you don't have. have the kind of the look of fear that we usually get when we say we're going to drop in so i think oh, i think that's authentic I, I but do you that. know what i think i've done a lot of speaking so it'd be rude if you didn't ask those questions again <laughs> okay if you could transport yourself back in time to meet your 20 year old self what piece of advice would you give and why oh god you've you've really stumped me now my 20 year old start self travel more Um, travel more yeah i've done quite a lot of that i think live life to the full and know that even if it's something's not going so well or life's a bit bad or throwing you a few hurdles it will get better and I think that's what I have learned to experience like you go through really terrible phases but things will get better there is a light at the end of every tunnel you just don't necessarily know how long that tunnel is 
so that's probably my kind of hope I would I'd go back and say yeah nice okay could you tell us about one life hack a productivity tool a habit or a skill that you have taught yourself recently you think everybody needs to know about oh this is really geeky it's not very recent but I do keep learning new bits about it pivot tables oh. <laughs> pivot tables um, this is James's bag he loves love, a, pivot love table. a bit of excel oh, oh right yeah. well you probably know still a lot more than me I'm married to a wonderful maths teacher who like data he could do in his sleep so most of the things I, I learned to do myself, but sometimes I'm like, I want to know this. How can I do it? So he'll teach me and then I'll then hopefully teach someone else. But yeah, pivot tables and using using data better. I've really learned to use data properly to drive to drive decisions and, and be really, really like confident with it. So, yeah, okay. that's my nice. There's a nice suggestion for our audience. But you've also given us our next, next guest. If we can get your husband on to talk about data and uh, pivot tables, <laughs> we'll be happy for, for an hour. So. Sure, he'd be yeah. delighted. I'm, I'm afraid he's not home yet because he's still at school, but um, <laughs> I'm sure he was. He's in. Oh, he's in. OK, last question. As a podcast that focuses on people doing more good, what's your favourite story or inspiring individual that you've met on your journey recently who has done something good for others? I'm actually going to take I'm going to take my founder Rupert Pick he doesn't stop doing good and I just don't know how he has time to do so much so he, he is he's a non-exec director with work for good now so he doesn't work on the day-to-day but it was his idea he runs his own marketing agency uh, work for good was born out of his his love and his support of his uh, youngest Otty who was born with two um, genetic conditions she has been into hospital more times than anyone would imagine she's had over 20 operations in her six years was a very short life she is resilient he is resilient and has a further two children when I speak to him he's always doing something else he's always like on the side of a football pitch or going to look after uh, the scout group or helping his wife do something or whatever it is and I'm just like I don't understand how you have so much capacity and so much love and and good in your body like how the the capacity is I just it blows my mind so he he is my inspiration I think he is my inspiration why I continue to do what I do and probably it's his fault that I'm a workaholic no not really Um, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Rupert nice Rupert is my inspiration yeah nice Nice look veronica we'll let you go if anyone wants to find out more or connect with yourself where where can they go yeah um uh, anyone can connect with me on linkedin uh and if you do as you have kenneth i'm afraid you will probably hear from me a lot and i will be on my soapbox about sales fundraising and championing lots of businesses and charities that are doing good otherwise you can have a little look at our website at um www.workforgood.co.uk or follow us on all the social media with work for good uk brilliant sounds good james any final thoughts uh i think we should resurrect your uh late 90s idea i'll get on the phone to dame bowers you call <laughs> natalie and brulia mcfly influential let's get mcfly into influence. oh we have to get mcfly and get themselves fundraising for us yeah get that company going sounds, sounds good. good all right yeah. well look thank you so much both of you we'll see you soon james catch up veronica thank you, thank you. and thank yeah you. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. 
Just before we go, can we ask you a favour? If you enjoyed this episode and you made it this far after all and want to help us reach more people and attract more guests, then we'd really love a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you haven't got anything nice to say, then say it in an email. Get in touch at contact at domoregood.uk and let us know how we can improve the show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good.